Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. How many of you, just out of curiosity, <clears throat> like me, are creatures of habit? How many of you are creatures of habit? Yeah. Okay. Well, <clears throat> add to being a creature of habit a little OCD and... Um, I tell you that when somebody moves my cheese, it is hard for uh, me to make the adjustment. <clears throat> but I am glad that we had such beautiful singing today. I'm so happy for the three who have come for baptism and look forward to the Lord's table <clears throat> at the close of the service today. Will you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17? And we're going to look at <clears throat> verses 22 through 33. The uh, this is the third in a series of six messages that we will be bringing to you regarding uh, David and Goliath. The title of the series is Facing Your Giant. And today we come to a turning or to the uh, turning point. Everybody has one or more turning points in life, places that sets a new direction for us. Times in life where everything changes and we move into a completely <clears throat> a completely different realm than we were in before. Now here's the thing. It's rare when we know when that turning point is taking place. <clears throat> Oftentimes we look back and we say, well, yep, that was the turning point in my life. That's where things change. A turning point can make huge changes for us, but it is not readily recognizable until after it is over. A man by the name of Booker T. Washington, famed educator, <clears throat> recalled the entrance exam that, he, that earned him a place in Hampton Institute, now called Hampton University in Virginia, an all-black college and university. <clears throat> the head teacher ordered Washington to uh, take a broom <clears throat> and to sweep the classroom when he arrived there for, <clears throat> for an entrance exam. Because he knew this was his chance, he swept the room three times and he dusted the furniture <clears throat> four times. When the teacher returned, she inspected the floor closely and ran her handkerchief over the woodwork unable to find a single speck of dirt anywhere, she said, I guess you will do to enter this institution. Washington later said this was the turning point of his life. Imagine that. <clears throat> Sweeping a floor and dusting the furniture was a turning point <clears throat> in this historic figure's life. On the day that Jesse sent his son to the battlefield, with food for his other sons and the officers of the army. David was just a, a young man. He was the youngest in the family. And he was doing what he was supposed to do, staying at home, taking care of dad, and taking care of whatever business dad wanted him to care for. He didn't know <clears throat> that this day when he would take food to his brothers and to the leaders of the army, that this would be the turning point day in his life. 
he didn't realize that this would be a turning point day in the history of Israel. Now, God certainly knew it, and God certainly intended it, and God brought it to pass. But David simply lived in obedience. And living in obedience to the plan of God, he found the turning point for his life. Let's start with a couple of verses that we ended our message last week with, verses 22 and 23 of 1 Samuel 17. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. Well, these are the verses, as I said, that ended our message last week. And so we said last week that David finally saw the face of Goliath. We spoke of the importance of putting a face on those giants. Now let's move to a different group of senses, and let's talk about David hearing the giant, the one that actually uh, had been threatening Israel. And so today in our text, finally, David hears. David saw, but now David hears. He had heard about, but he had not actually heard. Since Goliath had been offering this challenge twice a day for 40 days, David had heard about him. But today, David wouldn't hear about him. David actually heard him. David hears the giant loud and clear. Now here's the question. Why did David hear the giant? Well, it's a very simple answer to that, probably about three simple answers, but you should hear them because these are the reasons that that we face some of the things that we face in our lives. First of all, he was positioned to hear. David had placed himself in a place to hear the giant. Goliath had been making these threats for a long time, but only today was David in the place to hear it. Today, David had positioned himself squarely to see the giant and to hear the giant. Now, God uses a lot of different things in different ways to speak to us. He can speak to us at anywhere at any time, but sometimes we hear him better when we position ourselves to hear him. Now, God can override any condition that you may be in, but it is good to position ourselves to hear Him. This is why we have church on Sunday. One of the reasons is so that we can put ourselves in a position of hearing from God and His Word. This is why we have global impact celebrations for our church, is so that we can hear the voice of God more clearly. This is why we read our Bibles. This is why we pray and go on missions and and so on is because we position ourselves in a place to hear the Word or to hear God speak. Oftentimes at at our house, we now have an empty nest with the exception of Jan and myself. And I may be in another room and Jan will say something to me from another room. And I don't hear her. Now sometimes, I will just to be real honest with you, I will stop what I'm doing and I will walk into the other room and I will say, what was it you said? 
<clears throat> other times I go on with what I'm doing knowing that she had said something and later on <clears throat> I will say to her I didn't hear you um, what did you say I have to be in a position to hear I have to be in a place to hear her so it is with hearing from God at first David only saw and heard the giant but soon he was going to hear the voice of God in his life now the reason that David was positioned to hear get this <clears throat> is that he was purposed to hear David got in a position to hear because he was purposed to hear David heard Goliath on this day because God intended for David to hear Goliath on this day it was not an accident that David heard Goliath it was not he didn't say after it was over boy was I lucky that I showed up today he was purposed to hear Goliath the Bible says that the steps of a a righteous person are ordered by the Lord there's also this famous verse from Romans 8 28 and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good and for those who are called according to his purpose. Now God has a purpose for your life and mine. And the various ingredients of our lives have a purpose in them. He guides our steps. He guides our life. He moves us about. The events of our lives lead us to find and to fulfill the purpose of God. So when we get up every morning, we could know and should know that God has a purpose for our lives. When we have a giant in our lives, God has a purpose for the giant. He has a purpose and a plan for us to face and to, <clears throat> to defeat that giant or to conquer that giant. This is not an accidental thing. God absolutely has purposed for us to have uh, victory in our lives. Now you say, I've got a giant, and the giant defeated me. And I understand that. And could I say this to you, that, that not every time that God lives his purpose out in our lives do we find some glowing, wonderful victory taking place. Sometimes God purpose, God's purpose in our life doesn't feel like a glowing victory. Sometimes God purpose, God's purpose in our life doesn't feel like we're taking a step forward, but maybe a step back. back. Here's what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says. No temptation has taken, overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But will with the temptation, he will also provide the way to escape that you may be able to endure it. So God has a, a purpose and a plan and God also has a provision for us to be able to hear from him in facing our giant. He, the giant that you have in your life is no surprise to God. God knows all about that giant. Now the giant may not have been specific to God at the time that Jesus walked on this earth, but there's no temptation that you would have or no giant that you would face that God has not already faced. And God provides for certain ways to escape. God provides for us to deal with the defeat, or God provides for us to deal with the, the victory. But God provides. That's what we have to understand. God always, always, always provides. Um, haven't you ever <clears throat> been in a service listening to a sermon, and here's what you thought to yourself? 
that message is for me. That is for me. Have you never been in a, a preaching service or a, a Bible lesson or something and said, that was for me? Here's what you should understand. All that you did to position yourself to hear the Word of God that day was God's purpose being played out in your life. We ought to work with God's purpose. It's not our responsibility to to figure out God. It is our responsibility to be available to His purpose and to put ourselves in positions of hearing from God or hearing what God wants us to hear in His purpose. Our responsibility is to be in position. That's what you have to do, is just be in position. I've heard it said many times in the past that the greatest ability is availability. There are a lot of people who have experienced great things in their lives. And the main reason that they experienced something great in their life was because they positioned themselves for God's purpose. They put themselves where God purposed for them to put themselves. The turning point for God came when he, or David came, when he positioned himself to hear. And I guess that's the question. Are you in a place to hear what God is doing in your life? Sometimes God speaks to our hearts at the very moment that we face our giant. Sometimes at the very moment that we face our giants, we finally hear from God. So while David positioned himself to hear, most everyone else was at a much different place, or at least they heard things differently. So David hears. What about the soldiers? Well, the soldiers feared. They were just afraid. David could hear the giant, and the soldiers could hear the giant, but they heard two completely different messages. In verse 24 of our text, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the man who stood by, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now everybody was afraid of the giant. Saul had obviously set about to establish a reward, a huge reward, for anyone who would slay the giant. If, if you have a, a giant, uh, you're probably afraid, uh, you, you are afraid to face, you, you probably can find company in others who are afraid to face the giant. A lot of times people talk about situations with other people who want to talk about the situations instead of dealing with the giant of the situation that's in front of them. We'd rather talk back here behind the lines 
instead of face the giant, the giant issue, the giant problem, the giant obstacle, whatever it may be. David certainly didn't have too far to go to find people who were afraid of the the giant. In fact, when it came to Goliath, there was a general consensus. Everybody was going to be afraid of the giant. Everybody would. All the men of Israel were afraid of the giant. When he came, very simple, they ran and they would hide. There was not a Rambo in the bunch. There was not a Dirty Harry. There was not a Terminator. And John Wayne had not yet been born. Nobody wanted to face the giant. They were afraid of him. And they had a right to be afraid of him. Remember, he was almost 10 feet tall and matched his height in muscle. This guy was an absolute beast. He was huge. Have you ever seen a giant? When the, the closest I ever came to seeing a giant was in Miami. I was speaking for my friend Dino Padron. That's his picture there. He's the president of Davis College now in New York. And one of the men of his church was the administrator for Nathan for the hospital down there that that handles a lot of athletes. I don't know if it's called doctor's hospital or something like that, but he was the, <clears throat> he was the administrator, the, the, the top guy for that, <clears throat> for that hospital. And they took care of all the athletes. And so while I was preaching there, he invited us to go to a Miami Heat game. And so uh, Dino called me up and he said, hey, we're going to go to a Miami Heat game tonight, <clears throat> which sounded good. And Dino wouldn't tell me a lot. He didn't tell me where we were sitting or anything like that. But he said, you're going to like these seats. These are really good seats. And so we went to the man's house, and, and uh, his name was Lincoln, actually. And we went to Lincoln's house. And when I went inside of his house, first of all, his house was very impressive. Now, there are a lot of nice places in Miami, but if you have an impressive house in Miami, you spend a little money down there. And so he had this very impressive house. And we went to the door and he <clears throat> took me inside and, and welcomed me into his home, beautiful home. And he said, uh, let's go and wait in the den just a little bit. He said, my son's going to go with us and he's finishing uh, getting ready. And so we went into his den and <clears throat> lining the walls was baseball, football, and basketball jerseys from stars of the last 20 years, <clears throat> autographed jerseys. To Lincoln, thanks for everything, Michael Jordan. <clears throat> they were lining all around the top of, <clears throat> of the room. And so I thought, wow, this guy <clears throat> knows some people. And uh, maybe Dino's right, we're gonna have really, really good seats. <clears throat> so we got in his vehicle and we headed downtown to the American Airlines Arena where the heat plays. And Lincoln got in a a lane with no traffic. Now that's pretty amazing in Miami. There's never a lane with no traffic, but he got into a lane with no traffic. Literally no traffic. We were the only one in the lane. And I saw all the traffic backed up, but we got in that lane and where there was no traffic and we passed everybody. I thought, well, he's going to run out of room and he's going to get arrested and this is the seat that I'm going to have is going to be in a holding cell down here 
<clears throat> in Miami. I've seen it on television many times. And so I, uh, <clears throat> he went down there, and he drove past everyone, and he got right to the arena. When he got to the arena, I remember him taking a left, and he went in front of the arena. And I said, well, he's going to drop us off at the door. And then he went around the arena and under the lower level of the arena. And people were just waving at him. <clears throat> I waved. I thought, well, he drove under the arena, and he got into a parking garage. And I looked and saw all these beautiful cars in this parking garage, and I said, well, maybe he's got a pass to park under here. And he parked right <clears throat> beside the elevator, right beside it. We didn't have to take too many steps. We just got out of Lincoln's vehicle, and we <clears throat> got into the elevator. And when he pushed the button to go up, <clears throat> it came up, and it opened into a place where you could eat and where you could have, uh, uh, you, you could meet people. And if you're a drinker, you could have drinks and all that kind of thing. So we came up and <clears throat> right there. And he said, let's eat before we go out. Well, I said, all right. <clears throat> so we ate. I didn't know where we were. The last thing I remembered was getting in his vehicle outside of his house and <clears throat> everything else it was a blur. I was surprised. So it came time for us to, to go out and, and sit in our seats. And he said, let's go. Y'all just follow me. And as we walked out of that, that place to get something to eat, I noticed that right in front of me, I could see the floor where the Miami Heat played. <clears throat> and we walked past the, the uh, thing on the left that uh, was the Miami Heat's locker room. I said, well, this is amazing. And we walked right out onto the court. <clears throat> there was some celebrity being interviewed by ESPN, and we walked right past that celebrity and <clears throat> turned to the left. And we went down there, and we sat <clears throat> on the row of seats just behind the row of seats that the players sit on when they come off the floor from the game. There was two rows of folding chairs, very nice folding chairs. <clears throat> and I was sitting behind the row of nice folding chairs in a nice folding chair. And at this time, I really hadn't asked yet, but <clears throat> at this time, I looked at Dino and I said, who is this guy? <clears throat> he said, his hospital takes care of all the athletes. All of these people out here working with the athletes, <clears throat> they work for him. And so he is stationed right here. And so <clears throat> there I sat watching <clears throat> the Miami Heat taking shooting baskets. And then <clears throat> I saw him. <clears throat> for the very first time, a real-life giant. <clears throat> he was huge, seven feet, one inch tall. He weighed more than 300 pounds. He was clearly the biggest person in the arena. He may have been the biggest person in the city of Miami, could be the whole state of Florida. He was the biggest person. <clears throat> Shaquille O'Neal was taller than, and bigger than any basketball player on the court. He was and still is the biggest man that I have ever seen uh, personally. And when he finished 
he came and he sat down in one of those big chairs on the court right in front of me. <clears throat> there was Shaquille O'Neal. Here was the preacher. And I thought, this guy is monstrous. I looked at his hands. I looked at my hands. I have big hands. I wear <clears throat> a size 13 to 13 and a half ring. His hands were clearly <clears throat> twice the size of mine. I woke up that morning with no idea of going to the Miami Heat game. But by that evening, I had seen with my eyes Shaquille the giant. <clears throat> I said that to say this. So it was with David. David got up that day with no idea that he was going to see a giant. But when he got there, he saw the giant, he heard the giant, and then he saw the reaction of everybody else. <clears throat> they were afraid of the giant. I don't know that anybody in that arena other than those that had on uniforms would have been willing to volunteer for a one-on-one -on -one game with Shaquille O'Neal. I was a little bit afraid sitting behind him, and he was a nice guy, but he was huge. So the consensus was concerning Goliath that everybody feared him. Goliath was almost three feet taller than Shaquille O'Neal. So the soldier's fear came about by consensus, and it brought about a conclusion and the conclusion of Israel was <clears throat> that the king's ransom would go to the man who defeated Goliath. The word had probably spread through the, <clears throat> the ranks of what uh, King Saul would do for the one who defeated Goliath, and it was true. However, the conclusion of everyone prior to David showing up is that there's not enough money in all of Israel to cause them to want to face off <clears throat> with the giants. It was just too big of a thing. Sometimes giants are just too big. They're just too big for us. No amount of money, no amount of reward, no amount of anything will get us to face our giant. Sometimes they're just too big. And in all of this consensus and conclusion, there was one who had contempt, and that was David. David developed an attitude. He decided, I am not going to let this guy humiliate my life and the life of everybody around me. This giant right here has had his day. In fact, he's had 40 of them straight in a row, morning and afternoon, humiliating the people of God and the army of God. And I'll tell you this, I'm sick of him. <clears throat> and he will not go one more day. Here's the way that he said it. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? That's a, <clears throat> a who do you think you are statement. This is where we have to find ourselves. Whether the giant is a, a giant opportunity or a giant problem or a giant obstacle or a giant fear, <clears throat> there has to come a time when enough is enough. I've waited around on this too long. <clears throat> I have feared this too long. This has gripped me too long. This has hurt me far too long. 
In our first message, we said we must draw a line. And then last week, we said we got to put a face on it. Now, we have to come to a turning point. We have to come to a place where we said, you know, I am really and truly and honestly, and I'm not kidding, sick of this. I'm sick of of living an ordinary life when God has opened an extraordinary opportunity, and so I'm going to face that giant. Or I'm sick of dealing with this sin when God has opened a door for me to get out of that sin, or whatever it may be, I am absolutely sick of it. And regardless of what anyone else's advice or fear might be, we have to come to the place of saying that I personally, Randy Ray, your name, whatever it is, I am tired of cowing to this giant. I'm not going to do it anymore. You have to come to that place. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. David is not afraid. And he's about to take on the giant. However, he will face some tremendous opposition. And not just from the giant. Oddly enough, he's going to face opposition from his brother. This is the brother's sneer. This is the next thing that we're going to see. 1 Samuel 17 and 28. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered as they did before. So here it is, the baby brother. And as a baby of the family, let me just say this, that babies don't always get the respect that they receive or should receive. A lot of people say, well, you're the baby of the family, you're spoiled. Well, yeah, sometimes you're spoiled, but also sometimes you don't get the respect that you ought to get. And evidently, David had had a lot of trouble with his brothers because his question was this, what have I done now? This this kind of stuff had been going on with David and his brothers all along. Are you feeling me? Somebody in here feeling me on that? Some babies of the family? It had been going on for a long time. Well, what have I done now? What was wrong with his brother? Well, first of all, his brother was embarrassed. This, This has to be the explanation for the way that he responded. He wasn't ready to face the giant, and he was embarrassed that his little brother was ready to face the giant. And so he said, well, I'll just do what people have always done and have continued to do. I will bring him down so I won't feel so low. I will embarrass him so I won't feel so embarrassed. But what the embarrassed brother did was create something completely separate for David. Instead of David being embarrassed, David was emboldened. Everything that was said just fired him up more. In addition to his great faith, which we will look at next week, David appeared to have a 
a healthy competitive attitude. And there was nothing that his brother or anyone else would say that would keep him from volunteering. He was going to change things for Israel. This was a turning point in David's life. It was a turning point in the life of Israel. It was a turning point for Goliath and for all of the Philistines. His 40-day reign of terror was about to come to an end. David hears, soldiers fear, brother sneers, and then David volunteers. All that Saul was looking for was one good man, and David volunteered. What happens next is very interesting. David didn't go straight to Saul. However, Saul sent for David. Saul had been hearing reports of this conversation where David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who does he think he is? He had heard of this young man's boldness and he wanted to talk to him for himself. And, And he may have been seeing if David was up to the task. Either way, Saul sends for David in a summons that that would have ramifications for Saul, a summons that would have ramifications for David, a summons that would have ramifications for Israel. Now, finally, once and for all, Saul is going to have a serious conversation with somebody about defeating Goliath. One problem, it's with a boy. In verse 20, 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're but a youth. He has been a man of war since his youth. A couple of things here. First of all, there was Saul's hesitation. A lot of reasons David shouldn't have fought the Goliath. A lot of reasons. None of Saul's army would face the giant. David's brothers wouldn't face the giant. Saul didn't think anybody could face the giant. And he told David, he said, look, not only are you too young and too little, you're just too inexperienced. This was a fight for somebody else, but it's not a fight for you. You ever been told that? You ever been told you can't handle this job? You ever been told you're, you're too small for this team? Or you can't do this, or, or you can't do that? You ever been pushed off to the side because somebody just thought you were not capable? You weren't ready, and you couldn't make yourself ready? Saul was, <clears throat> was hesitant, and rightly so. But Saul's hesitation was met by David's determination. David would not be dissuaded from the mission. <clears throat> he had reached the turning point. He had already spoken up. He had already looked around at the other soldiers and said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Why does he think he can come and threaten all of Israel? Who does he think he is? And so in the the course of of all of that, he has spoken up. He has literally, the wheels have come up off the runway now, and he has passed the point of no return. He has got to fly. He has got to go. He has got to move. He was clearly outmanned, but he was ready, willing, and able to fight the giant. 
Now, sometimes this is a foolish thing, but sometimes it's not a foolish thing. <clears throat> I remember when I was a teenager, I, I was having a conversation. Harry uh, Earhart came uh, this morning and is going to be baptized. I was having a conversation with Harry <clears throat> in my office about um, construction. <clears throat> Harry has been in construction most of his life, and, and I told Harry about that the way I learned to work was by working starting out at age 14 on my brother's framing crew. We framed houses, and I, I learned back then how to work, literally learned how to work, and had some great experiences. And uh, some of those experiences were hilariously funny, and some of them uh, were, were very instructing and so on. I remember one day when I was a, a teenager, I forgot how old I was, maybe about 15 or 16. We were working during the summer, and... Uh, I, I wasn't very tall. I, I was probably five foot eight, <clears throat> not very tall, not very big, just, just a kid. And uh, we were working on a remodel job out on Franklin Road in, in Nashville. And uh, there were these other guys that worked with us, and one of them was a guy named Bobby Jones. And Bobby Jones was a couple of years older than me. And Bobby Jones wasn't very big either, but Bobby was very strong. And and so we started talking a little, uh, little smack talk to my brother and uh, <clears throat> to another man uh, who worked with us that was my brother's age. And we started talking about what we would do to them if we got a hold of them, you know, <clears throat> one of those numbers, just having a lot of fun. Now, my brother, <clears throat> six foot three, <clears throat> actually six, three and a half, but who's counting? <clears throat> weighed 280 pounds. He was all man. And <clears throat> the other guy was a guy named John Fault. John Fault was six foot five. <clears throat> he outweighed my brother by a good 30 to 40 pounds. <clears throat> These were really big guys, construction guys. <clears throat> they weren't couch potatoes. And so <clears throat> we talking back and forth and and really ginning up what we were going to do to them and, and all that kind of thing. And they just laughed and, yeah, that's right. You boys better pack a lunch, you know, that kind of thing and, and all of that. So we finished eating. It was a nice day. And everybody just laid back in the grass, took a little nap. So my brother was asleep. John was asleep. And <clears throat> Bobby tapped me on the foot and I looked over at him he said so we decided that he would go after my brother and I'd go after John they were asleep we were going to slay the giants <clears throat> and so we kind of counted to three one two three and as soon as we did it was like we cleared the ground without even getting on our feet. And we both, we dove on top of those two. <clears throat> Me on Big John and him on my brother Wayne. And I'm going to tell you something. We did really good <clears throat> until they opened their eyes. <clears throat> and when they opened their eyes, we were dead. We tried to run, but they wouldn't turn loose of us. And this was not a David and Goliath situation. <clears throat> well, it was, 
but Goliath won. Uh, Both Goliaths won on that day. I think of that when I read about David being willing to face the giant. I think about how silly we were to try and face just two big grown men. You can rest assured that David, that had David gone after Goliath without divine intervention, the way that we went after Wayne and John without divine intervention, that the story would have been much different. But David was fighting for a cause, and David knew that his cause was the Lord's. And so David defeated the giant in a completely different way. My question, I guess, is this as we come to the end. How many of us are at a turning point with these giants? How many of of us are ready to speak up? We've drawn the line, we've seen the face, but now we're ready to speak up. Now we're ready to confirm we're going to face the giant. Now we're ready to say we're going to defeat the giant. Goliath came out to face the whole army of Israel, and he did so 40 days in a row, twice each day, until David came along and David said, this day is the turning point. Have you reached that turning point? You've been thinking about your giant for three weeks now. You've been thinking what the giant looks like, what the giant sounds like, You've been face-to-face with the giant for three weeks. Now here's the question. Are you ready to reach the turning point? Say, I'll commit to it. I'll make a commitment to face the giant and with God's help to see the giant. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. You can visit us at North Florida Baptist Church, 3000 North Meridian Road, Tallahassee, Florida, 32312. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.